We are joined today by Ellen Castillo. You're listening to the Unspeakable Podcast with Kim, Kimberly, and Brandy. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Kimberly. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. We are joined today by Ellen Castillo. And first, I'll just say hello. Hi, Ellen. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to talk about what we have you on here to speak about today. But let me just give our audience a little bio of you so they can know who we're talking to. Ellen Castillo is the Executive Director of Word of Hope Ministries Incorporated, located on the Central Coast of California. And she also is the owner of wordofhopeministries.com. That's the internet presence of her ministry. She is a certified biblical counselor with IABC, and Word of Hope Ministries is an IABC training center. Ellen counsels and trains all ages, but has a particular passion for intergenerational ministry. She has been gifted to teach practical theology, equipping the next generation of Christians in the application of biblical counseling and mentoring. So today we have you on here to talk about your passion, which is um, mentoring and parenting teenagers. And we're so excited to talk about this because I don't think that, correct me if I'm wrong, Kimberly, I don't think that we've ever talked about this on our podcast. No, we have not. You're, you're correct. We have not. Excellent. All right. So Ellen, won't you just tell us a little bit about how God developed in you a heart for teens? Okay, sure. Well, I think that there's just several things that have come together over the course of really my whole adult life. Um, So in my much younger years, I used to be an occupational therapist and I worked in psychiatric hospitals and quite often worked on the adolescent unit or the children's unit. And I just um, I really enjoyed that work, but I stopped doing that um, years ago to raise my own kids. Um, but I never lost interest really in in helping teens. I'm also a mom of now six adult kids. Um, so for many years, I had a house full of teenagers, mm-hmm. um, you know, between my own kids and their friends. And I just always loved that and always, seem to find ways to relate well to them. And um, I've also been through a lot as a mom. That's a a long story for another day. But some of my kids are biological kids and some are adopted. And our parenting journey has not been an easy one. So a lot of my ministry really to both teens and the parents is born out of that history. Um, So really in the first, I'd say the first few years of my counseling ministry, I really focused on women. That was all the counseling I did at first. And I just had a longing, a desire to start counseling teens, but I wasn't really sure how you make that happen. You know, you don't just go start pulling people in off the street. So, (laughs) so I just, I just started praying. And I also started volunteering in my church's youth group around that same time. And Um, eventually I started getting calls and I started counseling teens and, um, it's just what God has done in my ministry just brought me, um, lots and lots of teenagers. And, um, I've always enjoyed doing it. Not every single case lands where we hope it will, but I have seen fruit and that's very motivating. Also, um, a few years back, 
another thing I, I did for a season was I was women's ministry director at my church. And in that context, I started an emphasis on mentoring, just challenging the women to heed the call in Titus 2 to mentor the younger generation. And it became a passion of mine. It still is. And um, so I've just developed this increasing passion for the younger generation, not just for myself in my own ministry as I counsel, but also a desire to pass that passion on to others so that all of us collectively do a good job at discipling this coming up generation. I think I see it as a kingdom issue. It's on mm -hmm. all of us mm -hmm. to accept the call to reach the next generations. If you look at Titus 2 and in, in, in not just pulling, you know, a few verses out, but read the whole council of Titus 2, you see that really clearly that this is an important uh, kingdom issue. It's, it's actually all about passing on solid doctrine to the younger generation. So those are the things that I, um, am most excited and passionate about. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have, I have a heart for teens too. And the Lord has always just been very kind to bring, bring teenagers into my life, bring younger college students seems to be the, the age group that, that I'm hanging out with more today, but that's still a very, very, mm -hmm. um, important age. And in that whole model of Titus two, like you're talking about, you know, have some younger people in your life as well as some older people in your life so that all the generations are working together to, to disciple each other. Absolutely. Yeah, I get concerned where um, it's just become our kind of our church culture to divide up into age groups. And I'm not opposed mm -hmm. to that. I'm not, I'm not really coming against that. I think there's a place for that and for Sunday school classes and all of that. But when I look at the culture of a lot of churches, it's all age segregated. So mm -hmm. where are our lives intersecting with people of different generations and um I just think we're missing the mark there. And those are the kinds of messages I like to put out there whenever I get a chance that we do need to be mixing. And it, it's, it's for the sake of uh, being obedient to Titus too, but it's also, it's for our good. I mean, yes. it's so, in, it's enjoyable. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't like just sitting around with people my own age anymore. <laughs> you know, I like yeah. being in a mixed group. So I think that's one of the reasons we're not seeing a whole lot of active mentoring happening is because we're not together. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think that is a huge problem. My husband and I, a couple of years ago, um, intentionally, we were in a larger church and the church, you know, segregated all the Sunday school classes by age group and all, everything that was done in that church was very much by age group. And we intentionally chose to go to a Sunday school class that was, 20, 20 years older than us. And mm -hmm. I was asked by our discipleship pastor why, why we chose to do that. And I explained to him, you know, our heart on that. And I said, look, you know, we need, we need some people who've been married a while and can give us hope that there's, exactly <laughs> there's, there's yeah. light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and, <laughs> so, and that you will survive it. Yeah, yes. exactly. Exactly. We needed mm -hmm. that. And, and so we chose to do that, even though the church wasn't didn't have that model. Well, I, I'm the mother of two grown adults. So, um, I, I am out of that teen phase. Whoop, whoop. 
uh, very, <laughs> uh, very thankful to have uh, survived that. But tell us some of the issues because my children are grown and our culture is rapidly changing. Share with us some of the issues that teens are facing today. And what do you think is the teenager's greatest need in our culture in 2017? Okay. Well, first of all, I think it's helpful. Um, I, I try to remind myself of this whenever I'm sitting with a teenager that we really need to just view them as younger versions of us. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're just younger sinners than us, but we all sin and we all fall short. And we actually are a lot more alike than we are different from teens. So um, that helps me to kind of level the playing field as I go into a conversation. As far as their common problems, I think that what we tend to do is think in terms of their presenting problems, you know, the behaviors that are common to teens, the things we see them doing, you know, rebellious Mm -hmm. behavior, defiance, uh, even in depression, anxiety, cutting, sexual acting out, um, all the misuses of their technology. I mean, that is a whole topic you could do several podcasts on just that alone. But those behaviors, they're really just indicators that something's amiss in their heart. So in their thinking, in their belief system, in their desires. And I really um, just see that acting out or the behavior is an outflow of what's Mm -hmm. going on in the heart. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's a biblical concept. We see that in Matthew 15, 19, Mm -hmm. you know, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, and on it goes. So I think it's more helpful to look at the most common heart issues that I see in teens. I think we all know what the behavioral issues are. So some of the heart things that I I think are most common um, as I sit with teens are, uh, first of all, the fear of man. Of course, that's most common in all human beings. But in a teenager, it manifests itself maybe maybe similarly than it does in our lives, but also a little different. Um, You see a lot of insecurity and peer pressure and attention seeking or shyness and all those kinds of things. So that is often what drives that external behavior. Just like our hearts, a teen's heart is is idolatrous. Mm. Some of the things they commonly, I would say, idolize are their friendships, you know, and there's mm-hmm. peer pressure emphasis and people pleasing, sexual behavior, substance use, just craving love from people, mm-hmm. things like fashion and music and Netflix and on it goes. So um, that's all a very common dynamic. And I also find that that teens have a very self-focused view of God. It's more like what can and should he be doing for me? Mm. So I think, you know, I I just hear that coming out of them a lot. And um, also a misunderstanding of the gospel that's really focused more on self than on Jesus. Um, Really hard for teenagers and sometimes us to see past our own noses, you know, so even the gospel gets a little muddied in in their thinking, and just a lot of identity issues and misunderstanding, even if they are truly believers, they're often believing lies about 
who the what their identity really is, and they have lots of fears about the future. Um, and in our world today, it's really easy to understand why. Um, the news is scary every single time you turn it on, and they are paying attention more than we think they are. They really are. And of course, just typical things. You know, everyone likes to get their own way, and teenagers really—that's really the bottom line for them most of the time. Um, they struggle with unbelief and doubt about their faith. That's huge. Um, and often a, a lot of kids who are really church kids, churchy kids that have grown up in the church, sometimes they don't feel safe admitting that or talking yeah. about their doubts and anger and legalism. And I could go on and on. And, and honestly, that list, if you know, it's the same list that I have and that you have. Yes. Um, so again, level the playing field. These are just people who are younger versions of us, and it, it does need to all boil down to the gospel. So when you ask what is their greatest need, I would say it's the same as ours. It's redemption. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. they, need, they need redemption, and only the gospel can do that. They need God's word. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 isn't just for adults. Um, yes. Our youth also need to know it and how to apply it. And how are they going to know it if we're not discipling them well? So, Amen. Yeah. You know, um, that was kind of a loaded question. I knew that you would say the gospel. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's, it, that's, that's, but it's, it's a message that we need to continue to repeat because it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not getting to the core of, of our belief system yet. Um, as a whole, as a society, as a Christian society. I'm a mom of two boys, and I've got a teen and a tween. Um, how can parents disciple their children with the gospel better or in the gospel better? And, you know, what's your answer when a parent tells you they're not equipped to handle their teen's struggle or their teen's questions? Okay. Well, first I would say, is anyone really equipped for parenting? Yes. Um, Amen. I mean, really <laughs> You know, we, we all learn that as we go, and they don't make us take a class in parenting or, you know, <laughs> and, and it wouldn't help if they did because you have to just, uh, you grow up together and you live it out together. So my husband has this quote, and he says this all the time, and I think it really applies. He says, we can't take the blame when our kids make mistakes, but we also can't take the credit when they do well. Amen. Amen. Yeah, for me, that concept right there has been actually life-changing it's what got me past a lot of this I, I went through a season in my parenting where I struggled I mean severely struggled with what I call mom guilt mm -hmm. I really thought everything was my fault and my kids mm -hmm. were making some pretty terrible choices in their lives and I thought well we've done everything wrong and I thought we were doing everything right and and I realized I thought it was all about us and our wonderful parenting. And mm. um, the thing is, it really isn't. It's not about us. So um, kids do have their own wills, and it's their own hearts that choose sin or obedience. And so I say that, yeah, we need to disciple and discipline and instruct, but you can be the most, you know, obedient and sterling parent ever, and your child still has their own will. Yes, And they will be held accountable for their own sin. You will be held accountable for yours as a parent, but you are not responsible for your child's sin. I think we often 
get that confused and we think that we we somehow are responsible mm -hmm. but you know true we're responsible how we parent but the outcome is not up to us so um, I would say for parents to to be sure to work on your own heart your own walk with the Lord and on your marriage mm. because a healthy marriage will pour out into your parenting. So if your marriage is, is healthy and, and picturing the gospel and your kids are observing that, that is, I think probably in most families, that is the first really good solid picture of the gospel that um, teens have gotten. It's right in the home. It's living it out in front of them. And, too often, I think as parents, we do this backwards. We give all our energy and focus and, and worry and anxiety um, to our teens or to our children, and we neglect our own walk and our own marriage. So um, mm -hmm. if I had to just pick one word of advice, that would be it is um, marriage first, you know, well, walk with God first, marriage next, and then focus on your kids. So also, I think it might have been Rick Thomas, who first said this somewhere, but um, parents, or, or that I saw, parents are almost always surprised or even shocked that their child has engaged in sin. Mm -hmm. So I see that a lot as they come into the counseling office. They, they can't believe their child that they raised in what they thought all the right ways actually has made some terrible mistakes. And so quite often you need to have discussions with parents and we need to remind ourselves as parents about what what is the nature of sin and remind ourselves that we are all, again, we're all sinners by nature and so are our children. It's really not surprising for a sinner to sin. Hmm. So yeah, what happens is parents are, are so, they're like in shock mode or, and I know I did this as well sometimes as a parent. You're so shocked, you can't even believe somehow that your child could do such a thing. But um, then you look back at your own heart and your own life, and you realize that really reacting in shock is not going to be helpful. Um, responding to them is helpful, but reacting is not. So as you're, as you're having conversations about whatever the struggle is, that is where you're discipling them in the gospel better. You're bringing in um, instruction, not just punishment, and you're um, modeling the gospel to them. And, um, you know, it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. I think we all realize that. But so I, another thing I find helpful is that as you're having these gospel conversations with teens, really start younger than teens, but we're focusing on teens here, but have these conversations in such a way that it's not presented to them as if their sin is out of the ordinary or shocking, mm -hmm. but that it's just part of the human experience we all struggle with. They need to know that they're not the only ones who are struggling with sin. Uh, we forget that part sometimes, and a lot of teens really feel like, oh man, I, I must not even be worthy of being saved or whatever because uh, I'm struggling in this way. So again, level the playing field, acknowledge your own sin as you relate to your teen. I share your own story. That's how you disciple in the gospel. And, um, I think those things really help really teenagers are a lot more curious about God than we think they are sometimes. So 
I think a lot of parents and um, people who work with youth are hesitant to bring in the gospel strongly because they think it's going to turn the kids off or um, that they don't really want to hear all that. But I find they actually really do carefully and in the right timing. But they're curious. They have doubts. They want to know more. And you have all these opportunities as parents to, you know, to get to disciple them in the truth. And it's we forget what a privilege that is. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps to keep that attitude of, wow, God entrusted these kids to me. Uh, yeah, it's hard, but this is such a privilege. I get to be in on this little corner of God's kingdom. And um, that's always helped me to keep my perspective straight, especially on a hard day. Yes. And yeah, so loving them, just, you know, looking at what does it mean to love your child and, um, I like to focus on the love that's, you know, not a feeling, but it's an action word. It's mm-hmm. patient. It's kind. It hopes all things. It's all of those things we see in First Corinthians. And it's just, uh, you know, we're not going to always feel the love <laughs> towards our teen <laughs> in any given moment. But our actions need to be loving. And um, again, I think I said this a minute ago, but not to be punitive in in the parenting, but be instructive. I don't know any teen who was ever punished into God's kingdom Hmm. or punished into uh, spiritual growth, um, but instructed into it, yes. So if you take on that um, sort of switch gears from punitive to instructive, I think you enjoy them a whole lot more. it's, it's actually uh, a lot more fruitful. It works a whole lot better. So I love the book called Give Them Grace. I don't know if you guys are mm-hmm. familiar with that by Elise Fitzpatrick. and Because um, it describes parenting as more of an attitude like this than a how-to or a to-do. It's not about a formula, a parenting formula. It's about looking for gospel moments as you parent. It's about being instructive. So yeah, there's times you need to discipline, but that's different than punishing. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's a whole nother topic too. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, well, we're we're quick to want to fix our children. Yes, right. We are. Yes. we want to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. we want that behavior to change. Um, so they, they won't do it anymore. So they won't make us look bad or whatever yeah. the reason. Um, yeah. But what you're explaining to us right now is is the opposite of that. Right. Um, because you're getting to the heart and not just, like you said in the beginning, the, the presenting problem, the behavior. Right. Yeah. So every problem or struggle, issue, whatever you want to call it, that your teen has is a gospel opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good mindset to have as you're parenting. Uh, two, it's pretty easy to forget that in the moment, especially if there's a heated mm-hmm. issue uh, mm-hmm. coming up and you really do wish they'd just stop and just yes. behave. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, um, I'm, I'm very quick to go to the spiritual aspect of whatever's going on in my kid's life and my my oldest one has said to me at times why does everything have to be about god i'm like because it is (laughs) right 
that's just right. the answer. It just is about God. Yeah. Apologies, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, although I, I guess you know, I think what thing, and I even have this happening is, you know, they're not saying it in this way, but what they're intending to convey to you is, I feel like you're beating over the head. And so sometimes there is something in that we need to heed and maybe not not back off of truth, but back off on how we're presenting it. Or maybe yeah. we're not relying on the spirit and we're relying more on our flesh, even though it sounds godly coming out of our mouths. And yeah. so listening well is a huge um, skill that's needed mm-hmm. in dealing with mm-hmm. your teens and mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. to take those opportunities well, when they're talking and and let them talk. Absolutely. You know, because mm-hmm. it's not yes. often that they just open up and, and do that. No, and when they do, you better turn everything off and sit down and listen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know about you guys' kids, but in mine, it was always about 10 or 11 at night. Yes. <laughs> you're ready for bed, and there's, there's the, the moment. They want to grab that moment and start talking, but... That's a sacrifice worth making. It truly is. Mm-hmm. You can sleep when they're older. So. <laughs> no, there you go. Well, yeah. we, we're a part of a community. We're called the local church. Yes. What do we need to do um, to partner better with parents in the discipleship process? Yeah. So one of the things I'd say this to parents as well is to not be afraid to call on your community to help as mm. parents. So where you don't feel maybe equipped enough or, um, you know, like you just need help. Maybe there are counselors and mentors and youth pastors and youth workers in your church that'll come alongside you, but you have to reach out. There's no shame in that. In fact, uh, it's commendable uh, as far as how I look at it. It's commendable to let the body of Christ relate to each other the way it's meant to. Yes, um, But I think a lot of parents go into hiding. They feel like it's their own failure and their own shame. And um, that that's really too bad. So I think churches need to be aware of that. And on top of this, you know, when you think about all the one another's in scripture, those one another's don't just apply to adults. They apply to our teens and our kids too. So um, I think, you know, I think about this a lot especially when I volunteered in a youth group in, a, in the church we were going to at the time that uh, it was so hard to get people to volunteer, um, especially women for some reason. That was, uh, maybe it was just that church. I don't know if that's a universal problem, but uh, as I looked at this, I realized that within the church, one of the things that probably is the biggest reason why people are hesitant to provide one another care to youth is cynicism. It's an attitude of cynicism. Mm -hmm. And we're fed this all the time and not just in the secular realm, but we're fed it in the church realm. And, you know, if you read a lot of blogs and it's always doomsday, uh, this generation is just going to be lost and it's all going to go south, you know? And so if we come in with that attitude, why would we volunteer to work with them if they're already a lost cause? Hmm. And um, so I like to talk to adults a lot about cynicism and and checking that in their own heart. And, um, you know, they think that teens are just too far gone to reach or um, that their problems today are so different 
that, you know, we don't feel equipped to handle or how to, or, and we don't know how to tackle those problems. Um, and that's all just, to me, that's just all a bunch of lies. Really, you said earlier, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, right. Might've been when you prayed, but um, there really isn't. Our natures are the same today as they were when Adam and Eve sinned. You know, our, our sin nature is the same. Again, level the playing field. True, there's different influences with each generation, but the hearts are the, are the same. And, yes. you know, I remember um, this was years ago when my kids were just entering the teenage years, my oldest kids, and I heard a, a really popular Christian psychologist on the radio. I won't name the name here, but um, what I heard him say was that the goal of raising adolescents is just to get them through it. Hmm. And that hit me so hard. And I thought, no, I really think God has a better and a more biblical plan for a teen's life than just getting through it. And Mm -hmm. I've kept that in the back of my mind um, for years, just because I won't accept that, that, well, sometimes you just got to get through it. You know, I I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think that we've lost the next generation. I think we need to be discipling the next generation. And, um, you know, that cynicism, uh, I, I hear this all the time. You can read about this pretty much every day out in the blogging world that kids are leaving church in droves. And by that, I mean, you know, like 18, 19, college age, they're leaving the church in droves. And the reason that you hear the most often is that uh, churches are not culturally relevant enough. And I would say, yeah, it is true that many are leaving the church. I've had that happen in my own family uh, more than once. But uh, I don't think it's for the reasons that some might think. I don't think it's because we're not entertaining them enough. I think Mm. we're entertaining them plenty. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, Way too much. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's because we're not keeping the gospel clear enough. Yeah. So when they have a question, when they have a doubt, you know, I've told so many parents and so many teens, doubting your, your faith is not a bad thing because you come to the other side of that with a stronger faith. You've questioned things. A faith that's not tried is no faith at all. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but oftentimes teens, like you said earlier, feel that they can't question those things, that that's not a safe question to ask. And if we would, if we would let them ask those questions, give them a safe environment to do that in, we could, we could help them understand the gospel more fully. Yeah. And so I think one of the best ways to have those conversations is probably just in my experience, less in youth group in those contexts, although those are, fine and good. I'm not speaking against those things. I've been a part of those things, but I think the one-on-one discipleship model is a safer um, and more productive place to have those conversations. So I'm really interested in, in mentoring. And so kind of like not, not instead of youth group and Sunday school, but as a, a service that individuals can provide that dovetails with those church ministries that that tend to be most typical in our churches today and so um, coming alongside a teen 
one-on-one um, someone in the church. So, I, of course, parents are the primary disciplers, but I'm talking about other people also stepping in and partnering. We're church family. You know, we're we're helping one another. And um, I always loved it when an adult took an interest in one of my teens. Mm-hmm. And I, I embraced that. I know some some parents have a harder time embracing it. I would say embrace it. It's a gift. And there are things that that teenager, no matter how close you are, um, might talk to about with another adult that they won't talk to their parents about. And I've just seen an awful lot of benefit mm-hmm. from that. But I'm just really concerned that uh, some churches just ignore the unique discipleship needs of teens. And I think that's a huge mistake. Um, yeah. Well, before we, before we um, close, do you have any final words that you would like to share with our listeners today? Well, I would just say to read Titus 2, um, the whole thing. Don't stop at verses 3 through 5 or uh, wherever you tend to stop in that chapter. And take the whole counsel of that really seriously. Don't see it as a, oh, that's nice for other people who are gifted and equipped, but no, it it doesn't say that. It's for all of us, the older teaching the younger, so um, men and women. So teens need God's truth. You know, Psalm 119, 105 applies to them as much as it applies to us. His word is a lamp for our feet, and it's a light for our path. And there's hope. God can reorient a teen's thinking and behavior. Um, Having said that, it's not going to be usually quick and simple, and you can't just speak to them about what they're doing wrong without helping them more deeply and reaching their heart. And some are going to be receptive and some are not, but it's always good and it's always right to at least plant seeds because the gospel has the power to transform a person's heart. I just think we need to refuse to believe otherwise just because of someone's age. So, yeah, that's that's my challenge to everyone today. That's excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Ellen, we have just a little fun section here at the end that we like to do when we have a guest on so that our listeners can get to know you just a little bit better. Are you game? I'm game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here are our quick questions. Drive or fly? Drive. Awesome. Most people will will give like a disclaimer on that and say, well, it depends on how far I have to go. Yeah, I almost said that, but I stopped myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Coke or Pepsi? Diet Coke. Diet Coke. There you go. All right. If you could have lunch with any Christian living or dead other than Jesus, who would it be? That was really hard. Um, (laughs) It is hard. It yeah. is. My answer so, changes every time. <laughs> yeah, so I have a I have a today answer because I just listened to a podcast with Johnny Erickson Tata mm. that was just it was just outstanding. Um, and so today I would like to have lunch with her. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> mine changes too depending on you know yeah. who I'm reading or, or listening to. Who has been the most influential author to your Christian walk, other than God Himself in the Bible? I would say Elise Fitzpatrick. Okay. What is your favorite book of the Bible? This one's a hard one, too. Yeah, that can change day to day, too. But today I say Ephesians. Okay. 
that's that's one of my favorites too. Yeah. Although you know, like like you said, it's usually just whatever I'm in. Exactly. <laughs> Because it's all that good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. And our most important question of the day for every person that we talk to is how do you take your coffee? Skinny mocha extra hot. Excellent. I'm so glad that you didn't say black. Yay. That's no, no. We've you and one other person are the only people we've ever interviewed that didn't say black. Really? Yeah. And I am a cream sugar, you know, I need all the stuff in it. Yeah, if I can't get my mocha, it's still some kind of creamer. Yes. Black is, no, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Some people just call that bean water. That's right. That's hot bean water. (laughs) That works. Oh, man. All right. Thank you so much, Ellen, for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. We have enjoyed having you. You are welcome. You can find more from Ellen on her website at wordofhopeministries.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast on iTunes, could you share a review on iTunes for us? We'd be so very thankful for that. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk with you again soon. Enjoy your coffee. Unspeakable is a ministry of rickthomas.net. Visit us and check out our other great content 